Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Season between Ash Wednesday, which was this last week, and uh, headed up to Easter has traditionally been a season of self-reflection for the Christian church. This is that space within the course of a year to where Christians pause. They turn inward and they think, why do I need a Savior? Christians are always coming back to this. It's a space of time that uh, Christians, the church, has to offer to the world around us as well. The opportunity to slow down. The opportunity to turn inward. The opportunity to hear from God. And that's exactly what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks in the Redeemer family. As you're coming around here in the weeks ahead, we're moving into a new collection of Bible talks, a new study in God's Word about the life of the emotions. And we're considering how the Christ that we celebrate at Easter is the Savior of our whole selves. And how though we have many parts of us that are still broken, they're still out of line, they're still out of whack, He is a great Savior. And He intends to put us together all the way through. So I hope this could be something that we could even feel inclined to invite some people around in the weeks ahead as we're talking about depression, anxiety, fear, anger, shame, and joy. I hope this could be the kind of thing that we might be able to invite a friend along to hear from God's Word. So we're we're headed into a, a Bible teaching series on the life of the emotions. And let me just ask you this question. How do you feel about how you feel? I know around this room, you see gushy American at the front starting to talk about his feelings. I wonder how that lands for you. You might be the sort that wants to not talk about feelings and emotions so much, but allow me just to take a brief moment here to try to show you why this is actually really good and important for us to be about. Emotions are strange. Few of us should have said amen. Uh, They're strange in that they can make us behave in ways that we don't want to behave. Have you ever noticed this? Emotions are strange in that they can flow through our body whether we invite them or not. Emotions are strange in that they actually help us see things about ourselves in the world that we wouldn't see if they didn't come. Emotions are strange in that most of us don't even know or don't even stop to ask why we are feeling what we're feeling. So it's easier than ever to avoid the emotions, right? Little Netflix, little glass of something, like a few text messages, maybe back to the emails, reach out to somebody else, and we can kind of just, we can kind of just glide by and not have to slow down and look within. But whether we know it or not, sometimes whether we realize it or not, we actually don't like how we feel. That makes us just like every other human being. Wonder if you could uh, wonder if you could relate to, to any of these. Maybe for you, maybe maybe emotions feel like a storm. 
You check Instagram. You see that post. This will affect some of us in the room differently than others. You see that post. Girls' night out. Hey. There's only one problem with that post, and it's that you weren't there. And you can't help but notice everything about that post. You notice the way their arms are tucked in around each other. You notice the way they're clutching each other's shoulders. You see the smile on their faces. And you read that caption again. Girls' night out. And something comes over you. In that moment, you feel this weird combination of betrayal, yet embarrassed, yet surprised, and somehow angered, and a keen sense of being on the outside, looking in. Low-grade nausea follows you around for the rest of the day, and you doubt other people out there ever feel what you feel. But you're not alone. And if emotions feel like a storm for you, this is for you. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're here. Emotions feel like quicksand for you. Maybe you're trapped in a world without ups and downs. Maybe time after time after time, you feel bored. You feel empty. You feel numb. You wonder what it would be like to feel. Your emotions would be what you call flat. No spark, no life, no giddy up. Excitement and joy are experiences for other people, but they don't seem to be experiences for you. So maybe you feel like you're always on the outside of an emotional experience looking in on it. You're watching other people celebrate a victory, and you're watching other people feel their way through a defeat. If this is you, you could feel more like a spectator in the world of emotions instead of a participant within them. And maybe that's not it. Maybe, you hard, maybe you're hardly aware of your emotions at all. And this is for you. Sometimes you're happy. Sometimes you're sad. Sometimes you're angry. But the big idea here is that you're just not aware of where you are. Maybe you can go for days without noticing a feeling. Maybe you wonder what the fuss with emotions is all about. You, you hear it, you, you pick up a copy of Harvard Business Review, and you see we're talking about emotional intelligence again. You hear it around the office, you hear it on the floor, and you're like, this is a big deal for people, but I just, I just can't connect with it. Maybe you feel more like a witness in the world of emotions and as a participant as well. Maybe you feel awkward at any significant expression of emotion in the lives of others. And if that is you, we're not here to slam. We're not here to put down. We're here to open up. Finally, maybe you have emotions, but they don't seem to trouble you that much. Maybe when you get down, you don't stay down for long. When you turn blue, you don't really stay blue. When you're irritated, you're just not irritated for long. Maybe you're not hiding from deeper feelings. You just don't seem to fall into ruts, and that's okay. People oppose you, kind of get over it quickly. And even when th bad things happen in your life, they usually seem to turn out for good. The sun's always coming up the next day, and you can go to bed just fine. And if you were here, this is for you as well. I wonder, can you relate to any of this? Yeah? How do you feel about how you feel? See, the way we respond to our emotions and how we feel is actually of vital importance to our relationship with God and to our relationship with one another. This matters for us at a base human level so much more as a church that's trying to experience what it looks like for Jesus to make all the difference for each and every one of us, for Jesus to change everything with us. Oh, we need, we need to be even more skilled and more versed in this area. 
how Jesus comes through and he heals those deep parts of us. But with that, just got to let you know where we could be going together. This could require some of us to have to reach back into our past, to actually have to go back into our stories and to allow God in his grace to uncover some painful moments that we've experienced. That wound, that relationship, that time we got burned. We got to go back. We got to make amends because our God is a healer. He's a redeemer. He doesn't intend to leave us jammed up. You feel like, oh, I walked in the room today like I'm a bit of a mess. That's fine. We're just not going to stay here for long. We're going to be moving with it. Yeah. So Christians, we live our lives according to these specific seasons. Our season is one of inwardness and one of reflection. And we have so much to do as the weather turns with Easter. We got doors to knock on. We got people to go visit. We got neighbors to reach for the gospel. How about some time to turn and and let the gospel reach every bit of us? Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. It's originally one psalm, and we see these three stanzas with the same refrain. It's one textual unit. It's not a big deal that some scribe one day just kind of split these. It's one psalm. We can kind of look at it, and you can kind of see it as one together. And this psalm talks about how to deal with those emotions of being downcast, despondent, in despair, and in darkness. If I could just say, this is incredibly relevant. Each and every one of us need this. Some of us need this right now. Others of us needed this last week. Others of us are going to need this next year. But this is relevant. Each and every one of us need what God's word has for us right here. Because the author of this psalm, maybe you could let your eyeballs roll across the page one more time. Psalms chapter 42 and Psalm chapter 43. This author is in a rough place. Maybe he's, the, maybe he's David and he's actually away in Babylon. That would fit some of the language of what we see here, how he's actually missing some bits of the homeland. He's missing his former days. He's missing the way life used to be. And he's hurting. If we steep our souls in the Psalms, we could develop these counterintuitive strategies for dealing with the pain that we will inevitably face in life. If we steep our souls in the Psalms, we'll be able to go through trials. We'll be able to go through sufferings and sorrows and hardships and find ourselves somehow worshiping God through it. I think we want that. Don't you want that? I mean, come on, who wants to go through those hard seasons? Who wants to go through those hard days and feel like you're never getting out of it? Now, it'd be great if we could have some strategies, something to hang on to, something to be able to move through this with. So I want to show you this psalm and then I want to give you these seven strategies for dealing with lowness, for dealing with despondency and despair and darkness. First, let's have a glance at the psalm. It breaks up in three specific categories. The first thing we see is this. There's a condition that's described. The condition that's described three times, the author has said it. He has described his condition for you. He is downcast. This means to be dissolved, means to be crumpled up like a sheet of paper. It means he's collapsed. He's absolutely blown away. He's got nothing left, and he has complete despair. The condition described. I can show you from this psalm where this is coming from. Externally, his circumstances have become oppressive. Check out verse 3. Chapter 42, verse 3. He is being taunted. 
and then let it drop down to verse 10, that taunt feels like a deadly wound in his bones. So something has happened in this person's life. This person's gone through a traumatic event, and now there's some conditions to start describing and understanding. Not only is it hard to be taunted, it implies that it looks as if you've been abandoned. The people around him that knew he worshiped God, they're looking at his life and they're like, where's your God? You don't look protected. You don't look looked after. Your life is a mess. Where's your God? And externally, he's being oppressed. It's as if he's been abandoned because something has gone wrong. We don't know what. And people are taunting him. Yet internally, his emotions are depressed and full of turmoil. you got to see these conditions. Stuff is coming at him from the outside, and yet his own soul is depressing him even further down. Chapter 42, verse 5. Chapter 42, verse 11. Chapter 42, verse 3. My tears have been my food both day and night. Have you ever been there? You ever been to that place? Where in the evening, don't even care to eat, don't even care to have something to drink. You've been crying so much. And all you do is cry into your pillow and go off into the night. This can happen to everybody. And men in the room, this isn't something just for the women. King David probably wrote this. These are the words of a godly man that we're all listening to this afternoon. So chapter 42, verse 7, it felt like he was drowning in this. All your waves and all your breakers, they won't stop coming. He's fighting for hope. In the midst of it all, in verse 5, he's saying, hope in God. We're going to be able to praise Him. Hope in God. But it also means I'm not praising Him right now. I'm in a spot. It's so deep. It's so dark. We're not praising today. And this is where he is. What I need you to hear from this is that this not only can happen to all of us, this is coming for all of us. Some of us can relate to this because we got it today. Some of us know these words are true because we felt them in the last couple of weeks. Others of us will find the truth of this in the future. And if I could just help us as a church family, I'm speaking to all of you, but if I could even help the church family that's gathered in this room, this is an experience that God actually seems to even lead His people into. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3 talks about how Elijah was pushed into severe trial after he had a massive accomplishment. There's this massive moment of achievement. And then he's faced with emotional and psychological despair and depression. He says these words, take my life. Numbers chapter 11, Moses is fed up with leadership. Moses says, you can take my life. You can take me out of here. This isn't something for like people out there, so to speak. This is for us. Jonah chapter four, Jonah says, take my life. Job, we just looked at him for seven weeks. He said, take my life. All these men knew they didn't have the right to take their own lives. They knew, they knew that no one had the right to take their life except God who gave them that life. And they're experiencing this specific kind of downcast, a clear description of what's going on. It's as if he's crumbled. 
is as if he's blown away, as if he's crumpled up and he's got nothing left. And it's coming for all of us. It's coming for all of us. And gloriously, we're given this song so that we can look into this and we can be prepared when it comes. But if I could even encourage you, as we go through these talks on emotions, everyone needs God. Everyone needs God spiritually more than we need water physically. That's what he's saying in chapter 42, verses 1 through 2. And my soul is thirsty for you, God. And the spiritual effects of not being connected to God are very similar to those physical effects of not being connected to water. We become spiritually dazed. We become spiritually dehydrated. We become spiritually dislocated. And spiritually, we begin to lose our minds. This psalm is so practical. It's a picture of being parched. That's the condition that's described. But notice this cause that then gets diagnosed. There are many. I'll just give you two. Notice this cause. His life rhythms were out of whack. Something happened. Maybe he was dislocated. Maybe he was moved. Maybe he chose to move himself. But something has happened in this person's story. They're dislocated. They're not where they used to be. Chapter 42, verse 4. His rhythms of spiritual worship have been disrupted for some reason. Maybe that was imposed on him for the outside. Maybe that was an internal slip he had within. In chapter 42, verse 6, he's moved. He used to go to the temple, but now he's moved away. He's moved away from the place where he used to worship. His life isn't ordered the way it once was ordered. He's moved away from friends that he used to worship with. And these conditions set in. I doubt we could look at that and say, well, that was just him over there. I think we could all take this on board as something that could be real for us. Whenever we move house, whenever we move across town, whenever we move jobs, whenever somebody around us moves, and we can feel dislocated. We can too can feel disrupted. This often happens to many people when they actually move out of home and they move away for university. It's as if we have to start owning our relationship with God for the first time. We've been dislocated because we actually depended on the people that we were around for our relationship with God and we haven't actually owned up to it enough ourselves. So whenever we go through these massive relocations in life, it actually leaves us in a place where we have to own our own faith and we have to own our own relationship with God. The big idea is that we can't fully experience God on our own. And just like this one was missing going to the temple, this one missed sitting in the seats and listen to Isaiah and Gil and Renee lead the band. We can't experience God on our own. There's no sitting in a flat or hiding out in a coffee shop thinking we're going to have some full experience of God. We need God and we need each other. He didn't have it. The dislocation was showing up in his life. Also notice this, his environment. In his environment, people were taunting him. In verse 10, my foes taunt me all the day long saying, where is your God? Something in his external environment was oppressing his soul. Internally, this cause gets further diagnosed in verse 3 when we see my tears have been my food day and night. No appetite. He's not sleeping well. He's crying. Today, this would be diagnosed as clinical depression. And here's what we need to hear. We need to hear as we press into this together as the church, when we come across these emotions, we're not going to just say it's this and you're well. No, we want to, we want to realize that in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, 
it tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man. And there we learn what it means to be a human person. Jesus grew in his understanding. He had a mind. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in his physical body. His physical body has to be tended to. He grew in his favor with God. He was a spiritual being. He could relate to God. And he grew in his favor with other people. He could relate to other people. He could make a phone call. He could send a text message. He knew what it was to relate to people. And when we move into where we're going with the emotions, we're never going to look at this and say, well, here it is, three ideas from the Bible. Do this and you're well. Come on. But we get around this and we have to treat the whole person. So even in the weeks ahead, just a bit of a disclaimer up front. In a realm of conversations that the church usually hasn't handled well, we're not going to come in here with one, some one-size-fits-all approach. We're open to the fact that our, our physical bodies around this room, they need different amounts of water and they need different amounts of daylight to feel right. We'll be aware that we've, we've experienced different things around this room relationally and our relationship with God and relationally with other people. But we will dig into this spiritual dimension. And here's what I mean with it. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah went into a deep gloom and despondency. How did God respond? Did God respond to him and say, hey, prophet, get up. Get going. Keep preaching. No, God actually sent an angel to him, and the angel did something that's fascinating. The angel came to Elijah, and the angel cooked him a meal. A meal. This depressed, despondent person's in a deep sleep, and God sends one to look after his body. He comes, and he looks after his body. He says, you need food. You need to go on a walk. You need to regain your strength. But when Elijah was being rehabilitated in his emotions, if you will, he needed a treatment that would encompass his whole self. So maybe we could even have that with one another as the, as the skies open up and the sun starts shining once again. Maybe we can get a coffee. Maybe we can go on a walk. and Maybe we can talk. We don't leave this for, here are four tips. Go and be healed. No, no, no. We're going to walk with one another. We're going to minister with one another. As a minister of the gospel, let me tell you, it's never just physical. Yet you can talk to physicians and they'll, they'll tell you it's also not just spiritual. All these conditions, we need to connect them with God. We need to connect them with community. We, our lives need a bigger purpose than what we have. There it is. That's the cause diagnosed. How about a cure that's prescribed? His cure, it comes three different times. We've seen it. Hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. What should you do when you're in a downcast situation? Hope in God. What should you do when your soul becomes disturbed within you? Hope in God. I've been thinking about this. I wonder why he had to tell himself to hope in God. Maybe he knew something about when his world started to shift around him. Maybe he knew his hope had actually shifted as well. You ever notice this? The Christian life, it's rarely lived in one place. We're either making progress forwards or we're drifting back. But there's no just sitting around. Maybe, maybe it was something about his hope. Maybe his hope had actually slid over here to where something happened in his physical location and it disrupted his life. Maybe his hope had actually become relocated. Maybe it was something within his spirit where he knew true facts about God. Maybe his heart wasn't resting in that. So when trial had come his way, he actually had to speak something from his head down into his soul. How to help a discouraged soul hope in God Hope in God, hope in God. And in just a few minutes, 
I want to show you seven strategies that this person unfolds on their own soul. These are techniques that we can start picking up as a spiritual community, looking into God's word, being informed by how this person endured. Because this person's doing all seven. I think this person's doing more. I can only find seven. Maybe you can find more. In these two chapters of Scripture, we actually see this person looking into the pain of his situation. And he has strategies for caring for his soul. He has ways of getting himself to keep believing in God when everything around him out there and even in here is telling him otherwise. I think we could do with this. I think we could do with becoming a resilient people that have strategies on board that when life gets hard, we can encourage and comfort our own souls when they hurt. We can look at one another. We can get alongside of one another. And when we sit across the table from one another to coffee, we don't have to say some nonsense like just believe in yourself. How depressing that would make me. Believe in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. Let's check them out. I'll go quick. First, be honest with God. You got clouds on your soul? Be honest with God. Doesn't make sense why God would let you move into such a marginalized position that people are making fun of your God. Be honest with God. Feels like it's so dark, it's so gloomy, it's so stormy within. Be honest with God. Chapter 42, verse 9. I ask God. He asks God. He pours out his heart to God. Why have you forgotten me? Why? I wonder what kind of relief some souls in this room could feel. If even right now in this moment, you're, you're opening that up to God. You're just being honest. God, why? Why me? Why him? Why her? Why that? What if we could just be honest with God? Take it as one of many things that are offered here and just be honest with our God. Be honest with Him. Ask Him questions. Open up your soul to Him even right now as we sit around this room. Open up your heart to Him. Ask Him why. Not verbally out loud. Even as the band is leading us in a moment. What if we actually make sure we're actually praying those phrases to God and we're honest with Him? Be honest with God. Verse 8, he says, I know God's commanding the world by His steadfast love. So he says, God, why have you forgotten me? But then he also says in the verse before, I know you got this. And therein, we can find space for one another. Space for one another when we sit with one another. And we all know things that are true about God. But as we sit with one another in our lives, we're going to say some stuff that's not quite there. We can find space for this. As we walk through life, as we try to care for one another, let's have this in mind. We're trying to cultivate an honesty with God. Chapter 42, verses 1 and 2. Notice this. In his honesty with God, it's okay to plead for change, but he actually does not plead for his circumstances to change. In chapter 42, verses 1 through 2, he's not thirsting for a different set of outcomes or events. He's hungering for God. God, would you give us this? God, would you plant this heart inside of us? It's not want wrong to want relief. It's not wrong to pray for it. But our human hearts, they're going to fall short if we don't have God. My soul longs for you. He doesn't long for deliverance from his enemies. He didn't long for a change in circumstances. He longed for God. 
wonder what this would look like practically across this room in the week ahead. We could take some time later tonight. Maybe some of you are into it right now. Just have some honesty with God. TV off, phone over there. Just some honesty time with God. Oh, just connecting with Him just there could open up so much space in our souls to experience His grace. Second, He remembers past experiences. He remembers. In the depression, He remembers. In the despondency, He remembers. In the despair, He remembers. He doesn't get better and then come back to it. This is one of the rungs on the ladder that he's climbing to get out of the pit, remembering past experiences. In the midst of discouragement, he affirms God's sovereign love over himself. But here's the thing. It's our familiarity with God that can actually breed a sort of ignorance about him. We can forget this is the one. This is the one that created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. This is the one whom we sinned against. This is the one who made a unilateral covenant with his people. This is the one. This is the one who called his people out of Egypt. A political, spiritual, and legal captivity. This is the one. He provided a way through by splitting the waters in two. He made a way for them to walk right through on dry ground. This is the one. He made a covenant, sacrificial system where we can have everything that's wrong with us dealt with by another. This is the one. He rises up people to speak on his behalf and to tell the world who he is and that he's good and he hasn't given up. This is the one. This is the one. And he does this. He has to go back and he has to remember this. And I love what he remembers. He doesn't remember a time that was pain-free. What he remembers is what it was like to get around the temple again. He remembers what it was like to get around and to look at a screen and to sing songs and have brothers and sisters on both sides. That's what's keeping him going. He's remembering past experiences in the pit. What if we could just take a step towards this? Remembering this is the one. He knows how to walk on water. He knows how to heal people from four miles away. He knows how to provide for people. And how he's even been good to each of us. Last couple of months, I started keeping a journal just to help my own soul in the evenings um, sit down and write out things that I'm thankful for, ways that God showed up. Even when it gets kind of dark, I just sit down and I'm not going to bed until we get a few things on the page. I'm trying to remember some experiences of God's grace, even though it was a hard day, I'm trying to write out some ways, remembering how God's good and how God's near. What could this look like for us practically? To remember past experiences, to even remind one another of past experiences. He remembers. He remembers this. He remembers his version of this. He remembers his version of sitting right there with these people here singing songs in the lower school hall to God. He remembers. Third, he embraced the sovereign love of God in the despondency, in the despair, in the pit, in the midst of discouragement, Embrace God's love for you. Embrace it. Affirm it. Even though it feels like all hell is being unleashed on your life. Even though it feels like you're going to drown if he sends the next wave and it comes again. Embrace the sovereign love of God. Let's affirm the fact. Let's be a people that gladly affirms the fact. All your breakers and all your waves have swept over me. Your waves, he says, 
your breakers, he says. In the crashing, in the uncertainty, in the waves, he never lost his grip on the great truth of God. Somehow God's in all of this. I can't explain this. I can't explain my situation. I can't explain these people taunting out here. But somehow my sovereign God loves me and he's in this with me. Let's be this kind of people. Let's set it in our hearts. When it comes, we embrace the sovereign love of God. Job didn't say, now I can understand the whole thing. Job said, now I can see you. God, give it to us. So practically, how does this work around the room? We embrace the sovereign love of God as we're waiting on spouses to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We affirm the sovereign love of God over our homes as that's happening. Practically, we embrace the sovereign love of God when a coworker or when a friend now shuns you and you're going to get the cold shoulder, now and perhaps indefinitely, we embrace the sovereign love of God. My God is in this. And it hurts. That cold shoulder, it hurts. But my God is in this. And He loves me and He hasn't forgotten about me. And what happens? What happens? None of this happens in a moment. This happens over a lifetime. And as we grow and as we set ourselves to being these kinds of people, from those moments of darkness, when we take that one step to embracing the sovereign love of our God, the sovereignty of God, it actually becomes like the ballast in a boat or a ship. And suffering by suffering, trial by trial, it starts to sink a little deeper inside of us. It starts to lower our spiritual center of gravity. So as those waves continue to come, they actually don't knock us over like they once did. This is what happens over time. Four, and I'll hurry up. He sings songs to God, and this is what we can do as well. We can sing songs to God. I know it's like a list of seven. You're like, dude, this is a lot. Well, I mean, he's doing all of this, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, I want to be like him. Like, I want what he had. I want what this one had. The darkness set in, and all of this activity is happening just in two chapters of Scripture. It's a high standard, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's one that we can have by God's grace. He sings songs to God. Chapter 42, verse 8. And at night, his song is with me. It's a prayer to the God of my life. What happens from week to week when the band leads us up here is so important. We're finding a language. We're finding a vocabulary for how to relate to our God and how to witness about our God in the world. And when trial comes, he remembers some of the songs that he actually learned amongst God's people. And he starts singing them to his God. If we can learn to sing words from people that have suffered so much, like William Cowper right here in London. Seth, let's have a look. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm. Words of someone who suffered from depression and despondency. Next slide. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and he works his sovereign will. Finally, you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Let's learn to sing songs to God. It takes a certain emotional state to sing while you're being crushed. We would do well to read the history books and see men and women who have stood faithfully and witnessing for our God. Horrible things happening to them. Horrible things happening to their family. Yet God somehow shows Himself to be so strong in their weakness. Fifth, pray. 
and especially when you don't feel like it. Chapter 42, verse 4, he says, I pour out my soul to you, God. He's talking to God. Even though God is not real to him, he's praying things to God. Do you notice this? Things aren't all okay. He doubts God's actually there, yet he's praying to God. If you're prayerless, and you're not getting much out of it. You're certainly not going to get any, anything, anything more out of that than if you go to God in prayer. If God is not real to you, and if you don't go to Him and talk to Him, He'll continue to be unreal to you in a sense. So here's what this is like. This is about waking up in the middle of the night and opening your eyes when it's pitch black. Lights aren't on. You can't see anything. What actually happens when you open your eyes and it's pitch black in the room, your eyes start to adjust. And you can come to see, well, there, there's actually the edge of the bed. And there's a little light coming in from the window or the door. It, is that the table beside my bed? That might be it. And your eyes start to adjust and you start to be able to see. And the same thing happens when we pray to our God when we don't feel like praying. We start to adjust. Over time, though it even feels absurd at first, I doubt he's even real. God, could you help? Our eyes start to adjust. Our souls start to become attuned to the moment and we can begin to see again. So the encouragement from Psalm 42 and 43 is to pray and then pray a lot when you don't feel like it. This is hard, but it's also the way forward. So we take it. I got two left and I'm going to get out of here. Sixth, notice how this person preaches the gospel to himself. Chapter 42, verse 5, he preaches to himself. And this is crucial for us to learn, and this is crucial for us to do. Let's not waste time as a spiritual community drumming one another up about how great and how awesome we are. Let's not waste time there. Let's preach the gospel to one another, and let's develop these habits and these skills to where we can remind our own souls of the gospel. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor and clinical physician right here in London, and, and he once said this. He wrote a whole book on Psalm chapter 42. It's called Spiritual Depression. And in it, this is almost the big idea of the whole thing. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You notice this in a depression, in those low moments? Some of us are almost so prophetic, if you will. We're just like speaking problems into existence all around us. What if we stopped listening to that and started talking back to it? Put your hope in God, soul. He said, take those thoughts that come to you in the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated those thoughts, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday and etc. Somebody is talking in those moments. Who's talking to you when you wake up in the morning? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm chapter 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. That's a strategy for getting out of the low time. It's aided by having people talk to you. It's aided by talking to other people. But he talks to himself. And this is what he says. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? His soul had been depressing him. His soul had been crushing him. So he stands up and he says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Let's have this. Let's have this. And we can have more than the author of Psalm 42 and 43 had because behind us 
We have an empty cross. We have an empty tomb. And we have everything we need to be encouraged in our souls. We can look back and we can say, self, let's have a chat. If God is for you, who can be against you? Come on, self, answer me on this one. He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for his all. How soul, how, how soul will he not freely give us every good thing? Come on, soul, listen to me now. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to do it, soul? No, soul, you listen to me today, soul. Who is there? It's going to be God who justifies us, who's there to condemn us. It's Jesus Christ whom God raised from the dead. More than that, he's seated at the right hand, and he's interceding for you, soul. You bruised soul, you hanging on soul, you desperate for the grace of God's soul. Hope in God. What shall separate you, soul, from the love of Christ? Nothing, nothing, nothing. So let's preach the gospel to ourselves. Let's get around one another. Let's remind one another of the gospel. We have so much more to preach and to hold on to than this one did. Finally, let's bring it in here. Let's look to Jesus Christ. And I want you to do it right now. I know you're a little bit tired. I've been kind of droning for a minute, but hang in there. Chapter 42, verse 2. When will I come and see the face of God? Hear that? When will I come and when will I get to see the face of God? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us that we get to behold our God as if it's through a dark veil. We're almost kind of beholding Him at night. And it's like, is that you? But then we have four Gospels that tell us about our God. We can hunger for Him and we can thirst for Him and we can even look to Him. What to do when you don't feel well? What to do when the times are dark and the times are tough? This one does a lot. He begins to pray. He challenges his own hopes. He begins to love. He begins to hold on to God. And I should encourage you, you can comfort yourself with the love of God. You can comfort yourself by holding on to the fact that God loves you and that God is for you. We have the resource to actually heal ourselves unconditionally. We have the resource to where we can put ourselves in a place where we won't have to stay forever in the desert. When we feel like we have a temporary thirst, we don't know how to endure that cosmic thirst that our Jesus was ultimately led on to. So I encourage you, look to Jesus Christ. Look with me with the words of John Newton right here. Look unto the Lord Jesus right now in your hearts, especially if you're in a depression. Look unto Him. Look unto him as he hung naked, wounded, bleeding, dead, and forsaken upon the cross. Look at him in your heart right now on the spot. Receive the relief that he can give you. Look at him and look at him again. Look at him. Look at him as he now reigns in glory, possessed of all power in heaven and earth with thousands and thousands of saints and angels worshiping before him and 10,000 times 10,000 ministering unto him. And then from the lowness, compare. Start comparing yourself with Him. Compare your sins with His faithfulness. Compare your weakness with His strength. Compare your inconstancy with His everlasting love. And if the Lord were ever to open up the eyes of our hearts to where we could fully see it, we would be astonished at the comparison. Thinking about the fact that God loves you and He is actually for you, and he has allowed a darkness. He has allowed a depression. He has allowed a despondency to come your way for a season. There, there are rungs on a ladder that we can climb as we trust God to carry us to the top.
and it's a lot. But thankfully, there's a lot we can be doing to help ourselves in our hearts. And if we commit to these things by God's grace and for God's glory, the darkness will start to lift. The water will start to flow. And the ground beneath our feet will become solid again. And we'll be able to say with this one in verse 9, He is my rock. And we will find ourselves standing on the rock again. Believe Him for this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need to know what it is for the ground beneath our feet to become solid. Father, we pray that you give us into this now. We pray that you give us over to a season of thinking true thoughts about you. Give us over to a season, God, of feeling. Help us, God. For those of us in here that feel too much and just feels like it's always storming all the time, help us. For those of us in here, God, we feel like our, we don't even know what it is to feel. We don't even know what it is to have an experience. Help us, God. Help us. God, we pray that you would help the ground beneath our feet to become solid and firm again. Would we sense you leading us and you guiding us as you make us more whole week by week and year by year in the days ahead. So we pray that you'd help us to meet with you now as we stand and sing. In Jesus' name.